I do want to bring greetings from Harvest Church, uh, where I pastor, where uh, many of you have transitioned your uh, membership from uh, to Midtown Baptist, which is a, a joyous transitioning of a membership for us at Harvest and certainly for Midtown Baptist. I want to... Um, uh, say that I brought a friend, uh, Kim Wilson, with me this morning. We rode together. It was a sweet time. Kim was a founding uh, elder at Harvest Church and uh, has been a, uh, a real mentor, a Paul figure in my life uh, for the last uh, really 20, 25 years. And so, uh, Kim, just a delight to have you here. Seems like at every mile marker in my life, Kim has been there. So praise God for that. Uh, also want to just thank John and Jess and Josh and Steph, this is really a sweet moment for me. Uh, I could spend way too long talking about this, but I spent a little time reflecting this week about uh, just the way that God uh, brought me into y'all's lives, you into my life, and uh, the significant transformation in the gospel I think we have mutually edified one another towards. Um, but even thinking about just phone calls, John, when you and, uh, uh, well, actually, before you married Jess, when I was speaking at whatever conference that was, and and um, you came up and introduced yourself. And it's just kind of like today. If you, if you meet John for the first time, you talk to him, you see that he's passionate and he's um, intelligent and he's you know, excited and, and, and there's, you just sense the potential. And, um, and then he introduced me to uh, his fiance, which was Jess. So how many years ago would that be? Eight years ago. And, uh, and when I met Jess, I thought, wow, um, there's, uh, there's more to this guy than I originally thought. Um, I'm not sure how he has pulled this off, but there's substance here, and, uh, and I continue to feel that way about you, John, um, but it is, uh, it's special to see from that, I had no idea what that conversation was the beginning of, but um, our relationship and uh, our time over the last eight years, which has been um, uh, in, in quantity, the Lord has blessed us with a lot of time, and through that time, you always speak about uh, how God has used me in your life, but I can't say enough. How God has used you in my life. Um, I always say this, and this would be true of John and Josh, uh, that uh, discipling um, men, for you men, for you ladies, discipling other women, is one of the most sanctifying things you'll ever do. Uh, I had the privilege of having uh, these two guys sitting with me every week, hungry, Bibles open, uh, with a ferocity and a tenacity to want to get to the bottom of the truth. Which, what do you think that did for me? I wanted to have some fresh bread to deliver. <laughs> Uh, and if I didn't know anything, I better find something out. So it really kept me humbly seeking God through his word. Um, and then Josh, of course, uh, uh, our getting to know each other through uh, your time in Downline and, and Steph and watching that uh, pursuit and, uh, and that marriage and being delighted in that. And I remember having a talk with you at Starbucks one day about why we were planting Harvest and what would be the, the mission and, and, and uh, what would be the values. And, and you were so encouraging and prayerful, and I had no idea that you would end up coming to be a part of Harvest at that time. Uh, but then you and Steph came, and just as she did today, uh, she was our original keyboarder uh, there at Harvest Church. And you four have just been a consummate blessing in my life for the last decade. And, uh, and I know that's uh, on a personal level, I just say thank you. Um, and, uh, and then from a kingdom level, I see the Lord's wisdom in it. Uh, this is extremely, this is not a moment, it, it's kind of counterintuitive. It's not a moment that I really boast in, it's a moment that I'm humbled by. Uh, it's, it's hard to describe the feeling, uh, but, but uh, in my insignificance that God has allowed me to be a vessel of his love and the truth of the gospel uh, to you guys in a way that he would use to bring you along this path towards maturity into a calling of pastoral ministry and now here to faithfully pastor an elder at a church is, um, at, you know, I feel like uh, Paul in the scriptures 
um, where he uh, seems to say before the Lord, uh, what will I glory in when the Lord Jesus comes? Speaking of the Thessalonians, is it not you? And, uh, and that's how I feel about you men. So this is humbling beyond anything I've experienced in ministry. And I, lo- I love you guys. Okay, um, let, me, uh, let me try to do what I've been asked to do here. To preach the word, I, I'm going to do something a little different. Those of you that have um, uh, been members at Harvest even will find this slightly out of normal. I, I love to uh, just get lost in a particular text of God's word. That's my favorite thing about ministry, and uh, it's certainly vocational ministry, is just to be in the word, get lost in it, learn, let the Lord go to work on me, and then bring forth uh, that message. And I was searching uh, all week for uh, what passage, what message is it? And the Lord kept putting different messages or, or one constant message, but different facets on my heart, which was frustrating to me as a pastor. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, uh, a little bit type A in this and asking the Holy Spirit to settle us on one angle. And uh, I had a talk with Josh this week. And I said, brother, would you mind if I, instead of having one text, could I just give what I would say in the best way I can, some North Stars for Midtown Baptist Church going forward that would come out of a few different texts. The idea being, again, the, the, the Magi followed the, the North Star to get to Jesus, and I would hope to maybe give some North Stars that just serve as plumb lines that this church might remember, might, uh, uh, might recall to mind, and might continue to press forward towards in all of the days of its life until Jesus returns. So that's the hope of this. I've not preached a message like that before, but nor have I done this before. So uh, here we go. The first North Star, and if you uh, know me, you'll probably have an idea uh, what this one will be, but it is going to be to preach the word, to preach the word. I'd like you to turn to 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And so that we're not uh, doing too many um, air squats this morning, I won't stand you for all of these North Stars, but let's, for the first one, let's stand if we could. 2 Timothy 4. One through five. Let's do one through five. Here's the very words of God. I charge you in the presence of God. This is Paul, by the way, to Timothy, his son in the faith. And now, Pastor at Ephesus, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the word of God for the people of God. And the people of God said, praise be to God. You may be seated. So again, the first, first North Star, preach the word. Um. Certainly John and Josh would know, and many of you that know me know how passionate I am about this. I, I, uh, I see that we're in a cultural war uh, for truth. God's word has not changed. You need to know this. If you're new to church, new to scripture, it's not changed. Um, it's God's, uh, it is God-breathed through men. Uh, it is eternally true. Uh, it is inerrantly true. It is sufficient for our lives. 
crucial to understand what you hold in your hands if you have a copy of the Bible. That this is truth. This is our standard of truth. This is the standard by which every other idea and philosophy of man or thought or creed ought be tried. This is it. And yet we're in a culture that uh, has its own ideas. In fact, it's a culture that reminds me exactly of these words. There will be a day, Paul says to Timothy, when men will turn to what their itching ears want to hear. And it's kind of like when something is talked about enough in culture through a a cultural, uh, secular worldview, it becomes or is accepted as truth uh, uh, in the minds of the people. Well, we must be diligent to put every idea through the grid of Scripture. This must be our guide. Uh, I saw, I've been, I've been following the, the, the uh, political scene, the, the debates that are going on in the Democratic Party presently as they pursue um, uh, candidacy to compete against Donald Trump for the uh, president uh, later this year. And I've been watching, I don't think I've missed a debate yet, May, maybe I've missed one, but I've watched, gosh, gosh by six or seven of these and want to stay informed. I, I enjoy hearing um, uh, 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 what, what is the common thought of the people, uh, the issues of our nation, the problems of our nation being talked about by men and women and debated about. And, uh, and, and of course, I've got a grid that I, that I see through when I hear these discussions and these debates, and that's the grid of God's Word. And I, but I noticed something that struck me in this last debate. The debate was for the uh, primary of uh, South Carolina, which um, uh, vote took place yesterday. So the debate was uh, earlier in the week. I think it was two Tuesday, and, uh, and I noticed something struck me as peculiar. In every previous debate, so five or six that I've watched, there's been no mention that I know of, I hope I'm uh, speaking truly here, I believe I am, there's no, no mention of God's word, no mention of God's word as standard of truth. I wouldn't think there would be, this was not surprising to me, uh, but there hasn't been. And that was not peculiar to me. What was peculiar was Tuesday night when not once, not twice, but three times by three different candidates, the word of God was quoted. And I thought, this is interesting. And, and of course, the first time the Bible is quoted in a democratic debate, uh, any political debate, I kind of perked up and I rewound. I said, wait a minute, what? And I listened again and and I heard the context by which the word of God was being brought in um, and, uh, and I had no problem with the context, but I thought, this is peculiar. And then the next candidate spoke, said, I too stand on the Bible, and quoted scripture. And then the third candidate was asked, motto in life, and gave scripture verses, two of them. I thought, well, this is, what, wait, what's going on? Is there a national revival? It ain't. And, uh, and then it hit me, and I think this is true, it hit me that this is the first debate in the South, this is the first debate in the so-called Bible Belt. And what do candidates generally do in the political scene? Republican, Democrat, every, every candidate, they're trying to win an election. They're not going to speak of the Bible in the places where the Bible is not accepted or understood, or places where it's even reviled. They're going to speak of it, of it in places where it's accepted and heralded and appreciated. And so generally I said, oh, I know what's going on here, though I appreciate any enunciation of Scripture. Uh, I understood that these politicians were politicking. They were pandering for the votes of people that might hear their candidate of choice speak of the Bible and appreciate that and laud that and approve that. They want approval of public opinion to be high so they have a chance to win this race. I want to say, John... 
Josh, Midtown Baptist, we are not pandering for the approval of man. It's not what pastoral ministry must be. That's not what the church does. The church heralds the truth, whether it's accepted, appreciated, or reviled. So understand my first hope and north star for this church is that not merely from the pulpit, certainly from the pulpit, but that you would be a people who are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who will preach the word in season and out, who will stand unashamedly on it. You're going to have to be bold. Uh, In this culture, uh, even in this specific context, um, this will fly in the face to an ever-increasing degree of cultural thought. What I mean this is the gospel, the word of God. The great news for any preacher of the word, and I've sought great solace and refuge in this, I don't have to come up with anything new or brilliant or great or insightful. All I have to do is be faithful to what this word says, teach you what this word says, and live my life according to it. And I'll let the chips fall where they may. Okay, so your first North Star, Midtown Baptist Church, is preach the word. Let me give one other, out of the same book, out of the same letter, Paul writes in chapter 1 to Timothy. And a few times here, I'm just going to read you God's word. He says in chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he tells Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul speaking to a spiritual son in the faith, follow the pattern of sound words. Uh, John and Josh, my prevailing thought of my example before you is one of, I wish I had been a better example. Uh, Josh and I had a chance to talk about that this week. Certainly I was no perfect example. Certainly that that goes without saying. But I wish I had been more mature. I, I wish I was further along than I was. I wish I could give you something closer to Christ than I have been able to. But if there's anything I'm grateful for It's that I don't think during the course of our relationship, I have put too much weight in my own thoughts or ideas. If there's one thing I'm thankful for the mercy of the Holy Spirit, it's been simply, man, I don't have all the answers. Uh, I don't know all the truth. Let's keep searching here. And it is to follow that pattern that I'm praying for you men. It's to follow that pattern that I'm praying for you, church, that you would follow the pattern searching and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, that you would guard. That's an active word. It's not merely the prevention of heresy. It's the guarding of truth. It's the being diligent to study, to know where truth lies, that you put the full court press on truth, that you guard it. And it says you guard it as a good deposit. Praise the Lord for depositing to us, visibly through his son, and then through his written word, the truth. Uh, the apostles said they've seen it with their own eyes. Their, hands have, uh, be, their eyes have beheld and their hands have touched. And they now represent it to the word. We have how in God's word the truth. It's a deposit. You know what, you know what we expect on any deposit? We expect to, it to be there when we go to the bank to retrieve it. And we expect there to be interest. The Lord has given us a deposit. To, should we guard this deposit of truth? Um, in this truth will we be guarded by the Holy Spirit. And God will use it to bring a fruit in accordance with election, that he will bring forth people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the sound teaching of his word. It's a good deposit. Looks into this, Midtown. It's entrusted to you. You hear that? It's entrusted not merely to the apostles, not merely to Timothy. 
not merely to uh, the churches of long-standing tradition in our city, the gatekeepers, so to say. It's entrusted to you. What a divinely bestowed privilege given to you. If you never thought your life had purpose until now, understand the purpose and the significance of your life as one who guards the good deposit of the Word of God entrusted to you. Praise be to God. If you're thinking, I'm not worthy of that, welcome to the club. None of us are. But boy, does that bring a great life purpose to all of us. Okay, North Star number one, preach God's word. Paul would say in his first uh, letter to Timothy that the church is meant to be a, uh, the living, church of the living God is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Of the truth. Think about that, a pillar and a fortress of truth. So I'll just tell you, my number one prayer request, my first prayer request for Midtown Baptist, or a prayer that I will continue to pray, is that you would be just that, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Second North Star, second North Star, if you would belabor me just to read uh, some of these scriptures over you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Again, hear the very word of God. Do all these things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So Paul, with a personal exhortation to the church at Philippi that is about the pursuit of holiness and humility. So let me give you that as your second North Star, the pursuit that you would be a church that pursues holiness and humility. Certainly he says to be consecrated here, that you are to shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation, right? So that you are separate from and holy according to what? The word of life. That there's a clear division between you who know and love God's word and tether your life to it and submit to it and are surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and those who are not, who are tuning their ears to the winds for what their itching ears may want to hear. There's a clear division. There's a clear separation that you would be those who are not merely holy unto the Lord, but that you shine like stars. Shine like stars. And you think about what that means. That certainly brings light into darkness. It brings warmth. It brings an ability for folks to navigate life by a, a true setting, by the truth, again, which is the word of life. But that you would shine like stars. I think to do this, you must be both holy and humble. And again, as I reflected and meditated on this, I think we have a, a, a real problem with both of these in the church today. And I just want to give you just kind of a, a word of warning not to fall into the, the ditch on the left side of the road or the ditch on the right side of the road. So on uh, the left side of the road, let's say, there is clearly one ditch. And that would be because the word of God is unpopular that we would find a way to interpret it in a way that is more culturally sensitive or popular. In so doing, necessarily changing its meaning. Uh, no longer doing what we said in the first North, North Star. No longer preaching and standing on God's word. No longer guarding the good deposit. That we would say the Bible in and of itself is uh, not relevant to our day. It was relevant to that day, so we reinterpret, retranslate what's clearly given that it may be more palatable and swallowable by a culture that is, according to God's word, crooked and depraved. Yeah. 
So that would be one ditch. That would be that we must not be afraid to be separate and holy. Uh, to say, just to, to give one more example from the, the, me, again, following as I am, the, the uh, political climate. And uh, I did see in one of the uh, recent town halls, there was a, a nine-year-old boy that asked a candidate to help him come out uh, and acknowledge uh, to the world that he is gay. A nine-year-old boy. I've got a nine-year-old son, so this touched me, this hit me, uh, and I, uh, my heart was squeezed by this. And what ended up happening in this moment was the, the child was brought on stage, and the people gave him a rousing ovation for his courage. And of course, uh, in various ways, my heart was grieved, and this is less about the nine-year-old boy. It was more about what our culture not only accepts, but what it uh, celebrates. That there was an ovation, and just bear with me, and I say this sensitively, there was an ovation for that which God's word, which I believe is true, loving, and good. So I come from that standpoint. God's word says this is a, a, a form of immorality or of perversion from truth, a perversion of God's loving design. And when we not only tolerate that which God says is uh, a form of immorality or a perversion of truth or his design, but we celebrate it, there's a time where the church has to be unafraid to grieve that. To merely say, no, wait a minute, in, our, in the wisdom of man, there's many things we don't understand. But in the wisdom of God, we find truth. And so in our lack of ability to understand certain things, we've got to be submitted to the word of God. So we can't be afraid to be wholly separated from the ways our culture thinks. The way our culture lives. We don't necessarily celebrate that which our culture celebrates. Haddon Robinson said, as a church, you better be able to speak to the issues of your day. Well, those issues are always changing. The word of God never changes. That's the beauty of it. Well, certainly some of the issues of our day include gender and sexuality and personhood and marriage. And the culture is forming and lauding and applauding a view of those things which is contrary to God's word. So again, there's a moment when we have the church have to be still and we have to be honest. Say, okay, the ditch on the left is what? Let's figure out a way to make Scripture fit with that which is popular. And at the, underneath all that, there's a fear of man's opinion. There's a fear of whether it be literal persecution or just kind of we all in our insecurity, especially pastors, like to be loved and valued and, and publicly approved. But we must leave that for the politicians. We must be ambassadors, heralds of the Word of God. So there's a ditch there on the left. Be careful. Be careful. We cannot make, say that God's word is no longer relevant to our day or reinterpret it according to cultural ideas and preference. But there is a ditch on the right. Or on the right would be a ditch, if I could just call it one thing, I'd say it's self-righteousness. It's a ditch that looks down our nose at the, uh, at the wrong ideas or unscriptural ideas of our culture as if our own ideas and um, uh, 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 holiness or uh, personal maturity in Christ has been perfected as if we've never been downwind of ourselves enough to realize that we too stink in many areas. I appreciated the uh, prayer of confession this morning. Just the first two sentences, John, I was humbled uh, that, that we, uh, 
that we often don't think of our own need because we don't see in clear sight our own sinfulness. And yes, we should be able to recognize what's right and wrong in God's eyes because he's given us his word so that we have clarity on that. We must also realize our guilt before God, the daily recognition of our need. The first sin we need to grieve is our own. It's where we start. It's where our grieving begins. And it continues out to any idea that is contrary or perverse according to God's word or God's design. But it starts with me. God, help me to conform my life into the image of your son. Do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I can't do it in my own strength. Let me put no provision in the flesh. Let me put no confidence in the flesh. Let me have a flesh that is crucified so that I might take up my cross and follow Jesus. Now, if you have that attitude, you're not one who is holier than thou in your desire to be holy. You understand the difference? I want to be holy. I want to be consecrated. I want to be unashamed. I want to stand on the truth. I want to wrap my life around it and be unashamed of it. But at the same time, I want to be uh, incredibly humble, knowing daily my failure, daily my need, and that failure and the need of my fellow man that I pray for, that I long for, so that we might be people who do not compromise truth and do not withhold love from those around us. We have folks that are believers like us, stumbling along, we need to grieve for their sin as our own, uh, exhort them, encourage them, love them, grieve with them, edify them. And we have folks that do not acknowledge God's word, that, uh, that, that have no re- saving relationship with Christ, that live according to their own instincts or what they think seems good or what the politicians say is good. And in the same way, uh, our opportunity is to be a tangible demonstration of the love of God and the standard of truth given in his word by the way we live. But it's both. It's holiness and humility. That's where we become like a city on a hill. That's when we begin to shine like stars. That's when there's a saltiness to the witness of Midtown Baptist. And so often the church has compromised one or the other. And there's no, there's no shining like a star in a community. There's bitterness, there's hatefulness, there's resentment, there's pharisaicalism. Can I tell you this? If you want to know how to be a stench in the eyes of this community or in the nostrils of this community, it is to be holy without humility. They'll avoid you like the plague. People who think highly of them, more highly of themselves than they ought. That's the ditch on the right. So Midtown Baptist, my North Star for you is stay in pursuit Holiness, yes, and humility. you got to have both to be obedient to what Paul is saying. Shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. Okay, let me give you a third one. To be a people of prayer. Jesus said that his father's house is to be a house of prayer. Before every major decision, scholars will say, commenters say that Jesus had to make, he went and he prayed. He prayed through the night before he chose uh, his apostles. He prayed through the night uh, before he uh, was arrested to endure the cross. He was always going to the Father. Uh, Not only throughout the day, but uh, in season and out, in the uh, most momentous times. He, being divine, being 100% God and man, still did not minister out of himself. Merely, he went to the Lord God, the living God, God the Father. 
And in his humanity, he recognized his need that his ministry would be out of the fountain of the Holy Spirit's presence in him and through him. Now, interestingly enough, though we're not divine, that's the same pattern. It ought to be the same pattern of our ministry. If we, uh, at any point, begin to think that we can pull this thing off called the Church of Jesus Christ, and we can figure out a way to um, uh, even love people well and put their needs above all uh, ours and attract them here and and think through the liturgy of the service in a way that is right and good and, and uh, appealing. And, uh, and if we think by somehow through our own best and good efforts, there will be life change and gospel fruit to the glory of God, we have fundamentally, at a foundational level, missed what it is to be the church. Just missed it. The moment we begin operating in and out of our own strength, is the moment we become futile as a church. I was reading Revelation 1, uh, uh, chapters 2 and 3 specifically, just talking about what causes a, 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 a lampstand to be removed, um, the idea of the, the witness of a church being removed by the Lord Jesus in this kind of commentary of churches, not only in that day, but I think throughout the ages. And the patterns are a church that doesn't preach God's word, a church that doesn't live by God's word is not holy, set apart unto God. A church that compromises truth uh, for the sake of unity. Uh, a church that buys into uh, cultural behavior and accepts it as the norms, these things we've been talking about. And a church that is not fully dependent upon the Lord, recognizing that he is the Lord of the harvest. That the church's desire, and I know John and Josh's heart, I know the heart of Midtown Baptist, is to be faithful. To be a faithful church, a local church, a local expression of the body of Christ. To just be faithful and trust God with the fruit. Let me tell you where faithfulness begins and ends. On our knees. Faithfulness is coming to the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, and saying, this is your church. This is an expression of your bride and your building and your body. And here we are um, as uh, in and to ourselves as insufficient vessels or vehicles that submitted to you, you can use to bring, to bear heavenly fruit uh, in a way that we can see in an earthly way. That only God can save anyone. It doesn't matter how uh, capable and talented John and Josh are in their preaching. Good preaching never saved anyone. The Holy Spirit uses good and has used bad preaching to bring upon people the conviction of the Holy Spirit, brokenness of their own sin, illumination to the truth of God and the gospel, and a rendering of their hearts before God, an acknowledgement of their own spiritual bankruptcy. Through that illumination, a regeneration, a new birth, where the old is somehow gone and the new is somehow come. And there's a desire for Christ when there used to be a desire for the world. And the Holy Spirit does it. And I'm convinced he does it often in spite of us. We want to be vessels. Just clean, just consecrated, just available, just faithful, just be useful in the high king's hands. So we do that on our knees. We do that heads bowed. We say, Lord, it's yours. 
The church is your body. It's your bride. You said you'd build it. Thank you for calling us uh, into not only salvation in Christ, being the body of Christ, but into this body where we might shine like stars. How can you use me? How might we be used? And then, and then ask him. Ask, seek, and not. God, will you do a work for your glory? Will you save people in this community for your glory? Will you allow the name of Jesus to be exalted here for your glory? We're going to believe you for it. We're going to ask you for it. We're going to trust you for it. That Christ be exalted. You ask him and you seek and you knock and you beg and you're useful. When we quit praying, the work of the ministry is an exercise of futility. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how winsome you are. I don't care how gifted you are. Our battle is won or lost on our knees. Midtown Baptist, Third North Star, be a people of prayer. Fourthly, Paul again exhorts Timothy in 1 Tim 4.16. He says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. On yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For doing so will preserve your ministry in the ministry of this church. I can tell you right now, John's desire, Josh's desire, my desire is that this church is here as a pillar and buttress of truth, full of people shining like stars in a crooked and depraved generation, as a gospel beacon in this community long after we're all gone. Uh, I, I just saw uh, this week a, a, a message go out from a mentor of all of ours, a, a man named Mark Dever, who sent a, uh, a little tweet out that uh, said, Happy birthday, Capitol Hill, and I don't want to mess up the years. Did you see that? Uh, it, it was, uh, it, I think he said the church was founded in 1875. Forgive me if I'm off by a few years. But it hit me as I read that, wow, 140-something years. I was thinking of those who founded that church who planted that flag, who loved and grieved and prayed and preached, and 150 years later, how the gospel is still going forth in that community from that precise corner, that precise, because not of the giftedness of the leadership. But I guarantee you the faithfulness in prayer, the commitment to holiness and humility, the commitment to God's word. Because here's what happens. Jesus has said, I will remove the lampstand if you're not going to represent me, if you're not going to exalt me, if you're not going to be about me. I'll take it out. And he hasn't. And i tell you this. Our desire is that 150 years from now, should the Lord tarry, that Midtown Baptist be right here, faithfully preaching the gospel, uh, uh, admonishing, rebuking, correcting, and teaching, loving in the unity of the Spirit, by the bond of peace. That's the prayer. That's the hope. And it says the way you preserve this is right now, watch your life. Watch your teaching. We talked about preaching God's word. Watch your life. Watch your teaching. You're, if you, uh, some of you are already members of this church or uh, considering membership, if you're a part of this body, understand 
that, that this is not merely a, uh, a, a pastoral admonition, that anyone who is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then he says, therefore, um, uh, in light of God who has done this, all this, it says, is from God. Therefore, we now get to be, verse 21, his ambassadors, as if God were reconciling a lost world through us. Isn't that something? That God would make us his ambassadors. That he would call a lost world through himself, to himself through us. Uh, Spurgeon said in his uh, minister self-watch, our character must be more persuasive than our speech. It, it doesn't matter how, cl- I mean, no, it matters that you can clearly enunciate the gospel. But it doesn't matter how clearly you can enunciate the gospel if your life doesn't have integrity with your words. Then your, your, your witness is rendered null and void. The great problem our church faces today in the West is that the world looks at the church as hypocrites. And largely the title has been earned that the world says, you say one thing, but you live in an entirely different way. It was Ralph Waldo Emerson that says, who you are speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you are saying. Don't let it be said of us that the world cannot hear our message because they see a life that is too distracting, that is too other than what we say, that has so little integrity that they cannot receive our words. If we want the ministry beachhead of Midtown Baptist Church, the gospel beachhead, to persist, got to have a people led by pastors who watch their lives closely and watch the doctrine closely. It's the fourth star. Fifth, don't lose sight of the beauty of the gospel. Just want to read you this. Uh, Just want to let the words of the gospel be read over you this morning. And, the, and what I think is maybe, maybe the most powerful sentence ever written in the English language. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and following says this. Just listen. Just be washed in this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Do you hear that, Midtown? The righteousness of God. It's not manifested in you or I or our obedience or our righteousness. The righteousness of God, by the way, is the righteousness that God's righteousness requires God to require. It's been manifested. It's been revealed apart from the law. The law was given not that we might be able to somehow gain our righteousness before God in accordance with obedience to it. No, it's a schoolmaster that teaches us that we cannot adhere perfectly to the law all the time. We're sinners. We need not a greater self-discipline, but a Savior. And so here's the good news. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Tell me more about that. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, the law bears witness it gives you, it renders you guilty and bears witness to your need. The prophets point to the, to the one coming all the way to John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God. They witness to it. The righteousness of God, listen, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's a righteousness that's apart from the law, that's by faith for all who believe. 
You come to the end of yourself. You surrender your life before God. You say, Father, I can never be righteous before you. But your son is righteous before you. And I will receive him as my rescuer, as my savior. I will, I will gladly receive the invitation of the living God to place my life in his so that his righteousness is mine. The righteousness of God revealed in Christ is imputed to my account. It's credited to my account in spite of me because of him. Listen to how it reads. It's by faith, those who believe, for there is no distinction. This is meaning between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. There's no righteous one according to the law. Except the one not born of the seed of Adam, the second Adam. Born by the Spirit of God. And listen to what it says. We all fall short of the glory of God and are justified. What a word. Declared righteous. In the midst of your and my unrighteousness that we're seen, not in some rose-colored glass way by a God who loves us in spite of ourselves. No, we're seen in our rebellion. And in, in, in a, in a, in a mind-boggling truth, that it's hard for us ever to catch up with, we're declared righteous in the midst of our unrighteousness by virtue of faith in Christ. So, I stand before you as one who has been declared righteous by God through Christ. It's been declared above a judicial term. It is done. Have you ever heard that? It is finished. It's been declared. Ken and Vaughn, righteous. I'm almost embarrassed by that. Because some of you know me. I'm struggling along. I'm unrighteous at various points throughout every day. Yet I've been declared righteous. And I would never stand before you and try to explain to you how the Lord saw in me my righteousness and declared it so do I don't have to defend myself. I would stand before you and say, I'm embarrassed. And I will not boast in my flesh. But I will absolutely boast in the righteousness of Christ. And those of you who know me like me and know that I am not righteous, I will stand on the provision of Jesus Christ, boast in what he has done, and receive by faith the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus that I've been justified. Man. And he says justified by his grace. That's what it is. As a gift. That's what it is. Through the redemption. He bought us back. That is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That means he paid. That means he satisfied the wrath of God against our sin. How in the world did he do that? It says by his blood. Shed his blood to satisfy the wrath of God against sin because the wages of death, wages of sin are death. The price had to be paid. God is just. And yet the just was the justifier. That's what it says right here. In his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I have no other commentary on this point. I just want to say, never lose sight of the beauty of the gospel. That's all you have left, that's enough. Be enamored by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I pray that Midtown Baptist Church will be a church that is in awe. Be a church that can't believe what God has bestowed upon us in Christ. That we never get over it. That this doesn't come ever become a time that is just a formality. That it's just a checking of the box. That is duty. That it would be delight. Because the gospel is bigger and more beautiful every day of our lives. Never lose sight of its beauty. Sixth, consider the Great Commission your greatest calling. Consider the Great Commission your greatest calling. Very briefly, the Lord God has done the unthinkable. Jesus has invited us in to what he is doing. I heard one of my mentors say this week, who I was listening to, we get too caught up in what um, uh, God's will for our life is versus just God's will. That God's will has been made clear. He's making disciples of all nations. He's building his church that the gates of Hades cannot stand against it. That he has called every single one of us who has been called to salvation in Christ has been called into the great commission of Jesus Christ. That we are to be those who go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And listen, lo, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age that we have this Holy Spirit-empowered mission. And we are a people who live on mission. Where? Where? Is that, is that merely when we're together? Of course not. This is a vital meal in our spiritual diet. The church is a place where disciples are made and formed and matured. We are to uh, leave no man behind, present everyone mature in Christ. But the church gathered here for the worship of God Almighty, for the confession of sin, for the uh, uh, partaking in communion, for the preaching of the gospel. And then we go. We don't cease to be the church when we leave. We're the church of Jesus Christ, the expression of his glory and the beauty of the gospel, and even the local expression of Midtown Baptist out in the community as disciple makers of Jesus Christ in your homes that your homes be a place of worship, that you disciple, that you raise your children in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I know, I, I, know I, I feel that every day, and I know you need help with that. Well, lean on each other. Seek help. Get wise counsel from, from your parents. Get in a, a community group or around some like-minded folks. Find some older, gray-headed men and women that have been there and done that and can teach you from both their, uh, uh, their successes and their failures. But be intentional about it. You're making disciples of the, in your home with your children. And in each other's homes. And in this church, that you don't be a passive attender. That's the, that's the black eye of the church in the West. That we have just pews filled with folks who are passive attenders. Nothing could be more uh, antithetical to the idea of a Christ follower than a passive attender. You just can't get any further. Jesus, in light of the gospel, in light of who he is and what he has done on our behalf, we follow him. He, told, he gave those little fishermen an opportunity. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You've been called into the great commission. So as a part of this church, use your gifts for the edification of the whole. Let this be a greenhouse where disciples are made and born and raised in the faith. And as a lifestyle for a lifetime where you work, live, and play. You be a missionary in that neighborhood. You be, a, you be a beacon of truth and hope and peace and joy by the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit rising up in you, displaying himself to you at the place you work, at the place you work out. I know all y'all are into CrossFit in this area. All right, wave those ropes to the glory of God. Those things are tough, by the way. I just did a workout, and I had not done the ropes ever, and uh, 
I don't know. Somehow I'm losing my mojo. But I tell you what, I tell you what, don't let it merely be about a workout. Because God's on mission through you in that gym. That's your greatest privilege in Christ to be declared righteous by the blood of Christ, by grace through faith in his blood, and then to be called onto mission with him. Aslan is on the move. He's not wasting a day. He's on the move. It's everywhere. If we could see from a spiritual point of view, we'd be flabbergasted at what God is doing in his forbearance. And he's called us to be with him. And he's promised to be with us as we go. Uh, By the way, that's the, the church's mission. Ephesians 4, to equip the people for the work of the ministry. Don't fall into passive attendance. Don't just pray and support the pastoral leadership and tithe faithfully. Those are good things. 